Hello, and welcome to the e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast, where new and aspiring instructional designers start, grow, and advance their careers. Would you like to become a successful instructional designer? Well, then let's get started. Dr. Luke Hobson. Dr. Hobson is a senior instructional designer and program manager at MIT XPro, an instructional an instructor for the University of Miami School of Education and Human Development, and the founder of Instructional Design Institute. He's also the author of the book, What I Wish I Knew Before Becoming an Instructional Designer. It's safe to say that his life is online learning, and he loves sharing his experiences with others to help them learn about instructional design. Welcome, Luke. Thank you so much, Crystal. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So how long have you been working in instructional design? So I first heard about instructional design back in like 2013, and I did everything I could to try to become an instructional designer, but no one gave me a chance. So it took me two years, and then I became an instructional designer in like 2015. Awesome. What inspired you to pursue e-learning and instructional design, and what drew you to this field? So I actually met, I worked at a university, I worked at Southern New Hampshire University years ago, and I was constantly networking and talking with people, I would be the person who would bounce around like cubicle to cubicle, wanting to be able to talk to people and learn more about what it is that they do. And uh, in the university space at the time, there was always other people. And I'm like, I have no clue what you all do. Because I was an academic advisor, I had no idea what other people did. And I always thought that the online courses were created by the professors. I just assumed that. And then I talked with some of my friends. And one day I met someone who was an instructional designer. And I was like, well, what the heck is instructional design? And he's like, well, you know how you're coaching your students through these online courses. Well, someone has to design those learning experiences. And that's what I do. And I was like, oh, like that's, that's a job. He's like, yeah, it's literally like my entire career. It's what I do. And I was like, well, I thought professors made them. He's like, oh, no, no. I was like, we partner with the professors to work with them. But together, that's how all these things come to be. So that was my first introduction into instructional design and hearing that for a living, I can actually just care about students' learning experiences. Instantly, I was hooked. And I was like, okay, whatever I got to do, I'm going to become an instructional designer. And that's how I kind of fell into the field was just trying so hard and keep on working. And eventually I, I got my chance and then it was uh, all, all going from there. That's great. That's so cool. I love it. Well, now I love that it's becoming more and more known, but I was the same. I just fell right into it. I was actually getting a degree in instructional design. Didn't even know what an instructional designer was at the time. Yeah, that's so cool. I love your story. I wanted to, I, so I wanted to go to school for instructional design, but back in like 2013, there were so few programs that were offered online. And the only programs that I saw that were in person were nowhere near me. I lived in New Hampshire and I was just like, so do I move? And I'm like, I'm not going to move. Like I already have like two degrees. I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm like, nah, blah, whatever. I'm like, I'm just going to go and attempt to figure this out on my own. And luckily network of more and more people and learn more things. But it's funny. That's like, that was my goal was then eventually I was like, okay, I guess not. And I went to school for my EDD. That, that became the thing eventually through my love of academic advising and academia, working with students, eventually it crossed over into that way. So I still don't have a degree in instructional design. I always wanted one. I still don't have one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I think most instructional designers don't. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
which is now extremely ironic, but I am teaching in an EDD program about instructional design. So it is really funny how the world works. I mean, it just goes to show how different, how education has changed. Yeah. What daily habits do you consider most important to an instructional designer's success? So this one's interesting because the daily activities of what I do can change depending upon the project, the time of the year and whatnot. I would say though, for an actual like daily activity, I think more about a project management aspect. Like I am on people. I will communicate with you every single day as far as for my SMEs, my stakeholders, my designers, whoever needs to be able to talk to. I am making sure that I am setting up those weekly calls. I'm doing those stand-ups. I'm checking in with people via Slack, Zoom, email, whatever you need to be able to do. So that is all to basically say that I am extremely organized with managing projects and making sure that I don't forget about things. I flag stuff and and one of the things that I've learned to become almost um, just used to becoming uncomfortable with things and now it's comfortable with me is that I am constantly reminding people and teetering on that edge of being pushy, but not. It's as you know, but if you have deadlines and deliverables and due dates and if people aren't responding back to you quickly or if there's a problem and there's a barrier, you need to be able to remove that. It is just making sure that you are on track at all times. And the best designers that I know of are constantly aware about when you're creating the overall project scope of things. You have the start date and you have the end date and then you have the launch date of when the thing's coming out. So you need to be super on track with things. So it's that project management aspect, the organizational aspect, the communication, all of those daily things is what's going to help people as far as for being instructional designers. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's really what I meant by that. Yeah, your day, just the habits that you build. That's that was perfect, though. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's it. Thinking of like looking at my calendar, you can see uh, I have reminders constantly. Like follow up with this person, do this thing, make sure that everyone's on the same page. Because if not, you lose track, and it's instantly. I mean, like, and I just recovered from uh, COVID, came down with that, which was a super fun, great time, and that crushed me. And I was just like, I get in my head. I'm like, I have all these projects. I'm like, I'm going to be out for like seven days. I'm like, oh no, like, how do I do this? So it was like communicating with people while I was basically like half dying and trying to be like, I am so sorry. I cannot join this meeting <laughs> and trying to organize that. Cause you, you gotta, the show's gotta go on somehow, some way an organization was what will keep you on track. Yeah. The world keeps going on. It's all about, but yeah, like you're saying, it's all about networking really. And just communication, continuous Consistent communication. Mm -hmm. yeah. What is one actionable step listeners can take today to help advance their careers in instructional design? Oh, that's a good question. There's a lot of things that you can actually do. But if I were to say to actually, if there's an actionable item that you can do literally right now at the end of this podcast episode, if you wanted to go out and to do something, let's go back in the topic of as far as we're talking about networking. One of the assignments that I actually give to my students in the EDD program is that I say that I want you to go and interview an instructional designer, to go and talk with them, to learn more about their day-to-day -day activities, because we do things differently. The way that I do things at MIT is different from the way that I did things in Northeastern, which is different from the way that I do stuff within my own different types of my instructional design world of clients and whatnot. There's always these different types of things. And the more and more you can keep on talking with people, the more you can hear about their paths, their steps, what have they actually done? And you can take away little bits and elements of every single person. It's almost like if you want to become a public speaker, you might admire one person, but you're not going to just replicate their style entirely. You're going to take some elements of them and go find another person who does TED talk speeches and be like, oh, that's really cool. And you're going to take one little element of 
them. And then eventually you keep on going. And that's how I started to dabble in this instructional design world was talking and networking with people, like I said, and hearing about what book recommendations do you have for me? What course should I be taking? Who should I be talking to next? Like, what do you think I should do? And taking away all those recommendations and those guidance for different types of people gave me more perspectives about the instructional design world. And that's what made me be able to create my own path towards trying to figure out what's going to work. Great. Yeah, that's great. That's a great answer. That's actually why I started this whole interview series to get inside perspectives on people with experience. Yeah, yeah. And we we all have different types of passions with an instructional design too. Like I've somehow become the subject matter expert person because I care about relationships and talking with people. So somehow people now know me as like the SME guy, but there's other people out there who are incredible at universal design for learning and talking about that perspective that I know a thing or two about a thing or two of UDL, but some people know way more than I ever will. So chatting with them, you get a different taste about that. I mean, you can talk with other instructional designers who care more about the research side of a house and they'll explain more about that or the e-learning side or the whatever. And you can keep on being like, oh, okay. I'm like, so where do I fit in here? And you're trying to be able to figure out your own niche and you can, which is really cool. That is like the beauty of talking with other people and figuring that out. What has been the biggest factor to your success? Not quitting. <laughs> now, refusing to accept the word no and just trying to make sure that you are just constantly going. Because as I said before, I was denied from instructional design jobs for two years. It wasn't right for me at the time. I was not selling instructional design correctly. I was not doing the best with interviewing. And also people just doubted me because they're like, this kid has no idea what he's doing. And I was like, yeah, fair point. You know, I was not the smartest at that point in time. But it definitely like that fueled me. It's weird to be like, I like when people doubt me because then I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like, oh, you think I suck at this? Like, well, I'm going to become incredible. I will be the expert eventually at whatever you're doubting me in. And uh, it's weird. But it's always kind of fueled me being able to take in those doubters. I even like wrote that in my book, like at the end of the thank you page, I think like my mom and dad and brother and wife and everybody and at the bottom, it says like, thank you to the doubters because that's just something that keeps me going. So if I have to chalk up my success to anything, it's that when you, you kick me down, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try twice as hard. So that's who I am as a person. I don't know where I came from, but that's inside of me to, to keep on going. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a human thing. Anyone should take negative that they receive at, and turn it into a learning experience. I love that. I think that's a great yeah, and it, and it's tough because some people ask me about like how I do that, and I was like, oh, it's not easy. Like, don't get me wrong, I still have my period of time of being like, woe is me and sad and being like blah. But then eventually, I'm like, okay, enough of that. Like, let's go conquer this thing and move on to the next thing. So it takes some time and some practice to get used to it. It's a weird mentality, but eventually once you adopt it and you get used to it, it becomes a part of you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's habit building in itself. It's the mindset. Yeah. I, exactly. I myself have to all, constantly remind myself building my confidence and things like that. What are your predictions for the instructional design industry? That ChatGPT is going to take over the world. And I, for one, welcome our robot overlords into our new space. No, uh, but I do think that we should become well aware and well versed within ChatGPT. It's all I've been talking about lately, but for good reason, because of the fact that it's crazy. It blows my mind, by the way, that people still 
are not as impressed with Jet GPT as I think we should be. So did you use AOL Instant Messenger when you were yeah. like a teenager? Yeah. Okay. Did you ever use Smarter Child? No. Do you remember that? <laughs> so, so Smarter Child was a chat bot that came out in 2001 and we can ask it things like the movie times and the weather. It was like very, very basic chat body stuff. And we usually like what you would do as a kid, because of course, like you're a dumb kid. It's like, you're trying to break it to see like, can I trick the AI? Can I make it talk about world domination and weird stuff? Because that's what people do. And especially as like a teenager, you know, that's when it, when it came out for me. And then now it's just like, okay, hold on a second. 22 years later, we now have a chat bot that's intelligent enough to basically give us any kind of answer that we are looking for if we feed it the data points correctly. So that is mind boggling. So whenever people are like, it's not that powerful. And I'm like, excuse me, like, I remember smarter child, like, you know, that wasn't that long ago. And now we have this thing that we can basically talk to it. And it is a chat bot, you have a conversation with it. And you can go back and forth and create these different types of ideas, which is like the biggest thing to me, it is a Kickstarter, it is a booster for creativity. If you were down and out and tired, it can give you ideas. And I've tried this with anything you can think about. And one of the things that I found out uh, two days ago, which just like knocked my socks off where I was like, whoa, that is not normal, is that I gave it an idea and I was basically saying, hey, I'm thinking about making a new four-week course. It's going to be a cohort-based course. It's going to be talking about the fundamentals of learning science. What do you think? I wanted to see, could I just bounce an idea off of it? What would it give me for an answer? And then sure enough, it came back and it was just like, hey, Luke, that's a good idea. And then it went into the merits of why cohort-based learning is effective, about how four weeks is a good time frame for people. And it started telling me about all the positives of my idea. And I took that and I was just like, great. Well, what about, are there any problems or issues that I'm not thinking about? What do you think? And then it once again responded back to me. It's just like, well, four weeks is a short amount of time. If people are going to be committing to this, you need to make sure that they're always going to be supported. I recommend you host office hours, give really credible feedback, and then it kept on going from there. And I'm like, dude, this is crazy. Like it's, it's giving me more information compared to me talking with one of my colleagues on the phone and being like, Hey, I'm thinking about making this. What do you think? And it was giving me all of this data. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is insane. So instead of trying to like mess with chat GPT and ask it about world domination and silly stuff, like you can use it as literally like an accountability buddy to say, Hey, I have this idea. Can you help me? And it can. Like, we need to pay attention to that, that we have to be paying attention to this and learn how to use this tool because the people who know how to use this tool are going to be the ones advancing in our field. And the people who don't are going to be left behind. No doubt. Yeah. Now that wraps up this week's e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast episode. Now it's time for you to go out there and take action on what you learned about instructional design today. Remember, you don't have to earn another degree and get a formal education in, in order to become successful in the field of instructional design. That's why I started the e-learning and instructional design for beginners. I would love to have you as an e-learning and instructional design for beginners member. My program is a proven step-by-step -step process you can use for a successful career in instructional design and create online courses from scratch. I offer a free membership that gives you the tools and resources you need to successfully start a career in instructional design and e-learning. 
To learn more, go to eteachonline.com slash join.